And the first thing our men said were, where are your women? Like where you can't talk about forming a union and you have no women here. What are you thinking? I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers. He's the boss and we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I are going to catch up, but we're catching up from two different locations as I am on the road with Good Faith Media. And then we're going to talk about a very special celebration coming up this weekend. I turned 53. Don't tell anybody. And then later on in the pod, we sit down with Betty Lyons, the president and executive director of the American Indian Law Alliance. And it is a wonderful conversation. And you're going to want to make certain to listen. So it's going to be a good pod. Stay tuned. there, Missy. Hey, how are you? I'm doing very, very well. So, we're back at the mothership. Yes, we are in different places today recording because you're traveling, doing um, lots of great things for for Good Faith Media. So I'm back home holding down the fort. So, uh, But we'll, we'll have more on all of your adventures later. But for now, this is a weekend of celebration. For what? Right? Please right? do tell. Well, two, <laughs> what are we celebrating? Two things. One... You're going to be so thrilled that I know this, but today begins what? Today begins, I don't know. Premier League soccer. Oh, yes. <laughs> the season is officially, officially underway. Officially begins today. I mean, and it's your birthday weekend. So It is my birthday weekend. I first want to address the Premier League. I am a Manchester United supporter. And for the record, I know it's always the hope that kills you. And I know that I hope that we end up at the top of the table. Most likely we're not. But so, so I, I I actually took a quiz um, that told Good me enough. what team I was supposed to support. Oh, I cannot wait to hear this. Well, I can't find I can't find it now. It was, was like it? I think it was Everton. Everton, really? Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. they ask you a bunch of questions that I didn't know answers yeah, Everton's to. one of the oldest clubs in the Premier League. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's a good choice. So apparently that's my team this year. Okay. Well, then so, root away. <laughs> absolutely. So, in any, and, and also it's your birthday weekend, which, I mean, it, it was really nice weekend. of Premier League to start on your birthday. That's a great birthday They're present. always so thoughtful that way. So um, I thought I would maybe ask you about um, some of your favorite birthday memories since we're celebrating oh, all weekend goodness. long. You know, I grew up in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I grew up on the east side. Uh, my parents were really young. Uh, trying to make it in the world. And so, you know, birthdays, you know, were, were put together and uh, they, they were fun, uh, enjoyable. I'd have my friends from the neighborhood come over to the house. Uh, we'd have uh, picnics uh, out in the front yard. My mom would always make a cake, which was wonderful. It was always chocolate. Uh, we would have the proverbial uh, streamers and balloons and all of that. And I uh, just had a great time with all my 
childhood friends. This sounds uh, very different than a child's birthday party in the year of our Lord 20 and 23. I do remember when I remember when we went big time. I mean, and this is when I really thought my parents had like hit the jackpot. And that was my first birthday at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were living it they up. They sprang high. for it, didn't they? They did. I mean, uh, I I ate the lead paint and everything on Grimace and the Hamburglar. Oh, that makes my thighs burn just thinking about it, climbing up in that thing. Do you know what? A while back, I told you, I mean, we've talked about me going through old boxes of stuff since my mom passed. I found a receipt from my second birthday party at McDonald's, like for the cost of the birthday party with all the kids. It was $23 for the entire birthday party. I thought, I, I think... Spending $23 per kid that you invite nowadays is probably more typical, if not more. So, yeah, times have changed, huh? They have. They have. So so that was a great memory. Um, you know, also, uh, I have this wonderful memory of my grandmother, uh, Okima Randall, on my dad's side. Uh, she was uh, uh, Muskogee Creek, and she loved birthdays. And on my birthday, she would always swing by the house and pick me up. And obviously I was a summer birthday. And so she picked me up and take me to lunch to Hank's hamburgers, which I took you and Starlet there when we were in Tulsa covering the Tulsa race massacre. Uh, it was just a, you had root beer and greasy cheeseburger. And then when I was younger, she would take me to Trippets and buy me a brand new pair of shoes for school. Uh, and, uh, that was a great memory. And that later, evolved into taking me to this like little uh, local uh, men's clothier at Rimbergs and, and buying me a shirt or sweater or coat or something like that. So I remember uh, both. And I, well, I remember um, Trippets because when our boys were born, I remember yes. um, that's something that tradition that carried on and they each got their first little pair of walking shoes at Trippets. Yeah, it and really it, was, it was just just this little kind of it wasn't even a, it wasn't really a hole in the wall, just this little boutique uh, shoe store for kids. It was, and yeah, it, it was definitely great. a boutique by the time we came along. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was neat. So yeah, those were really special memories. I think. Yeah. Well, thank you for wishing me happy birthday. I'm excited. I'll be 53 years old this year. Absolutely. There. Maybe we'll try to figure out a gift for you before you come back home. <laughs> <laughs> if you can have the AC fixed when I get home, that will be fantastic. You know what? You know what? what? I'm not kidding you. As of the time this podcast drops, the AC should be fixed. Oh, glory. I wasn't going to say anything about Hallelujah. it. I wasn't going to say anything to, in, in fear that it might jinx it. But by the time this podcast drops, you guys, we should have air conditioning and therefore you will be allowed back home. That will be one of the best presents I've ever had, and uh, I appreciate that. But, you know, we we got to sit down with this wonderful, wonderful woman. In fact, she reminded me uh, of the spirit of my grandmother because she's so active and uh, and advocating for indigenous rights. You and I got to sit down with uh, Betty Lyons this week. Betty is the president and executive director of the American Indian Law Alliance, and she was just so delightful to talk to the issues that her and her organization are dealing with. Uh, just it, it brought back a lot of memories because I can remember my grandmother saying, 
uh, a lot of the same things that Betty said during our interview today. So it was a good a, a good week to have Betty on the show. It really was. I very much just I don't know. I could have I could have really listened to her much much longer. Um, I, I found her fascinating, and like you said, it just reminded me so much of of your family experience and of feeling the the generations of tradition and connectedness within um, the indigenous people. So it's, it's a great conversation. And we think you're going to enjoy it as well. So stay tuned. Betty Lyons from the American Indian Law Alliance is with us next. Baptist Women in Ministry is celebrating its 40th anniversary in 2023. Baptist Women in Ministry, BWIM, will gather in Louisville, Kentucky, October 2nd through the 4th to celebrate. Louisville, it's where BWIM's founding mothers met 40 years ago to begin the movement. The celebration will include the premiere of a documentary about BWIM's founding, plenary sessions, times of worship, connection and self-care, and a banquet to honor BWIM's four mothers. Join Baptist Women in Ministry this October in Louisville. Learn more and register at bwim.com. Info. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Betty Lyons is President and Executive Director of the American Indian Law Alliance. She is an Indigenous and environmental activist and citizen of the Onondaga Nation. Betty has worked for the Onondaga Nation for 20 years. Betty continues to work for the protection of indigenous peoples who are fighting to protect their traditions, territories, resources, and care for Mother Earth. Betty, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are delighted that you are here. Uh, this is a first for us at Good Faith Weekly. Uh, we're in three different locations. I'm in uh, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Missy's uh back in Norman, Oklahoma at the HQ. <laughs> and, uh, where are you calling in today from? Uh, I'm from, I'm on the Onondaga Nation, which is located just south of Syracuse, New York. Syracuse, New York. Well, I don't know about you, Betty, but it has been a blistering summer this year. Uh, now, I don't know about New York, but down in Oklahoma, it has been horribly hot. Uh, so how have you been getting by? It has it has been horribly hot, and it's really concerning, you know, to us um, as we see now. We used to have really cold winters here um, in Central New York. We even right. used to have more snow than Buffalo at times. Oh wow! Which, which is a, a big deal, right? Because yeah. we're always you know measuring the inches of snow that fall, and um, you know the past few years we used to get probably twenty below zero for a couple of weeks. Now we get it for one or two days, and that's it. Um, and so, unfortunately, we're seeing uh, the end of spring. We we don't have a very uh, long spring at all. The transition from winter to spring is rather quick. And so, you know, we're we're learning to adapt uh, to our planning, uh, planting, yeah. you know, our crops, uh, our fruits, our vegetables, all of those things. That has really dramatically changed, and right now, we're having like more weather events, right, than we've ever seen. You know, sure. the heat, of course, and now a lot of rain. And so uh, it's, it's, I guess, made me really worry about, because of the acceleration and all of that over the past 10 years, 
you know, it had me thinking, what is it going to look like in another 10, you know? Right. You know, Betty, and, and this is such a great segue into our, our first question uh, with you today. One of your passions is an educator, an activist, uh, an advocate for caring for Mother Earth. And one of the questions I want to ha- I have for you as an indigenous person myself is how do you connect uh, your tradition and help us understand an indigenous person's um, understanding of the symbiotic relationship that humanity has with Mother Earth? Thank you. That's such a, a really great question and very insightful because a lot of people don't uh, even think about uh, our relationship as being so interconnected. Um, and really all, all of human, humanity, uh, our relationship with Mother Earth should be interconnected. Uh, we as Indigenous Absolutely. people don't see ourselves uh, above any other living being. We see ourselves as equal to that we just have different roles and responsibilities. Um, I think we as humans do that the worst. Um, we depend on all other living beings to survive and our mother to survive. And, you know, it starts, it's so um, intertwined. It's like woven like a basket uh, into the fabric of our life of how how we are. Like my name, for example, uh, my, my original name is Gainhia, which means small sky. Uh, my eldest son is Onegano, which means cold water. And my youngest son is Dehahuwakwa, which means he lifts up the canoe. And we receive those names uh, through, it's, we're matrilineal, so it's through the mother's clan. So my children are snipe because I'm snipe, and we get them out of this basket. And so when our children are given these names, it's said in the longhouse that, you know, now all of the animals, uh, the plants and animals will know you, like the medicines will know you when you call for their help. And now my concern with, you know, climate change, the acceleration of that change, um, how, how will they know me? How are they going to know my children if we call for help? Um, and that's scary. It's scary to me. And so, like I said, we see ourselves as relatives. Uh, as my aunt would always say, you know, all living beings, there are relatives, not resources, you know. Um, we give gratitude to them every day. So we have a Thanksgiving address, um, and it's given every single day, not just once a year. And it's about having great gratitude for everything that is provided for us here uh, to be able to live in peace and part of that peace. So, like, if I were to address you, I would say, and I would greet you with a message of peace. And I would say, I'm thankful that you are well. And wellness uh, is also interconnected with peace which is interconnected with all living things. And you can't have peace without having that reciprocal relationship. Wow. Betty, that is absolutely beautiful. And just so you know, uh, Mother Earth is listening to you because outside of my window right now, there is a thunderstorm rolling in to Albuquerque. (laughs) So uh, dry area is needing some rain. So thank you so much for for that beautiful explanation. Well, even though I sit here in the heat of Oklahoma, you're talking about your children's names just gave me goosebumps. So thank you for, for that explanation. That was beautiful. But another part of your work draws attention to the 15th century papal edict doctrine of discovery. 
So for our listeners and those of us who grew up in states where maybe we got a sentence in a history book about this, um, would you explain and, and define doctrine of discovery and how it's been used historically and the effects it still has upon um, indigenous peoples? Yes, it, it was a, a papal bull that was done in the 15th century, uh, mid-1400s, uh, by Pope Nicholas. And basically what it said was, that if uh, the explorers were to go out um, into into a new land or territory and they were met with um, what they called pagan Saracens um, and enemies of Christ, meaning that they were not Christian, then they could uh, lay um, dominance over those lands and take them for themselves. Uh, they would say that those lands were void uh, and they, they used the term terra nullis. And so if you know, they came and you didn't accept, you know, the indigenous people or, you know, when they went to the continent of Africa, um, they didn't accept Christianity, then they could be enslaved or murdered. Um, and even after they accept, some accepted were forcefully uh, pushed, uh, Christianity was forced upon them. Uh, and if um, they didn't subscribe to that, um, and even when they did, they weren't seen as equal, um, equal to all other people, if you will. And, you know, this kind of started, the Doctrine of Discovery started the land grab. It started the Atlantic slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade, um, and so many other, so many other things um, that kind of, I would say, has like snowballed into this effect of what we're dealing with today. Um, it also brought boarding schools, that entire mentality, it just kind of kept folding over like one century after another. Um, and, you know, that they were going to, you know, kill us off. They wanted our lands. They wanted to take them any way that they could. Um, so genocide was, was definitely on their mind. Taking our land was on their mind, using up all the natural resources, which also goes, you know, back again to climate change that we were talking about earlier. Um, it's a mentality, um, and it has affected us so greatly that we are still uh, reeling from the effects of that doctrine of discovery. You know, I look at our community, I look at our nations and our peoples, and how much we have to try to peel, I call it the rotten onion, and peel the layers off to uh, to be able to be strong to be healthy, to be well, um, and it's devastating. It is absolutely devastating. You know, it, again, brought, like I told you earlier, the, the boarding schools to our families, and that in and of itself was was devastating. It was about eliminating our culture, our ways, you know, cutting our children's hair, making them wear uniforms, taking their traditional clothes away from them, not allowing them to speak their language. You think about the intergenerational trauma the historic trauma, the intergenerational trauma, and then the trauma all of us carry around from just our families, you know. So it's like a hundred-pound knapsack that we're that we're walking around with, um, and kind of hitting each other with. Um, we were given like these divisive tools from this colonization, from this doctrine, uh, and now we weaponize it against each other, and so. Unfortunately, you see a lot of lateral violence in our communities, um, and we're really trying, so many people are trying to unpack all of that so that we can have uh, wellness and, and healthiness, happiness, right? 
um, in our own systems and and be able to uh, thrive. Now, Betty, you just did a beautiful job explaining to us the theological uh, framework in which all of all of these tragedies within the last hundred, several hundred years have taken place. The Atlantic slave trade, uh, you know, colonialism, Western expansionism, uh, the boarding schools, uh, you know, across, across not only this continent, but in other locations. But recently the Catholic church made somewhat of an attempt to not necessarily repeal the doctrine of discovery, but to was it a denouncement or to tell us tell us a little bit about what the the Catholic Church did in, in trying to address that edict back in the 15th century? Yeah, so they have what's what's called repudiated the doctrine of discovery, but they have not uh, rescinded it. Um, you know, I think about my Aunt Tanya often, you know, she was she was the founder of the American Indian Law Alliance and wrote the first report um, on the doctrine of discovery. It was a study, a study done, which which really um, garnered a lot of ground in this area. And then Steve Newcomb, really brilliant. Um, if you ever get a chance to read some of his uh, work, I suggest that you do that you know, really kind of decoding this doctrine, all that it meant. And I, I'm, I'm grateful that the Catholic Church is now open, willing, and wanting to have this conversation. And we can't move this along without allies. You know, we need, we need our non-Indigenous brothers and sisters, you know, to step forward, learn about this, um, to, to really try to unravel it in so many ways because it's the basis of racism, um, you know, this, this domination of one religion over another. I mean, there's so much to it. And now the Catholic Church is so open. And when I was talking to some of the folks uh, at the Vatican, you know, this is coming right from the Pope. And he's... He's saying that he wants to see something different um, instead of this hierarchical system, something, you know, where there people have more um, agency over what's happening, including women in that process. You know, all of those things are so important. And so we're looking forward to having more meaningful conversations with them because you can't just repudiate it and move on, right? It's not a, actually like, you know, rescinding it like, where we have to figure out how can this be used, this repudiation, and then hopefully uh, having them rescind it, you know, to then turn around some of the things, terrible things that have happened due to the doctrine of discovery. The doctrine of discovery is the the basis for all Indian land law in the United States. Um, I don't know if you know that or not. So I think it's important to say that, uh, you know, part of that land grab. And that was the part of the one of the case we had a case that when we asked the Supreme Court to look at it and they denied that. And, you know, because of that uh, denial and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who we would have thought maybe, you know, would have more thoughtfully looked at at our case, um, cited the doctrine of discovery um, in, in the, you know, the written statement. And so. All of that said, you know, we're hoping that now 
we can have more meaningful dialogue with not just the Catholic Church, but all Christians. I think it is so important that all Christians understand, and not just Christians either. I mean, there are other, certainly other, other religions as well, but all Christians, you know, start to understand what that did around the world, not just in North America, in Central and South America, where the doctrine of discovery is still being used for mining, um, you know, to suppress people, to take their land uh, and steal the resources that, you know, are underneath them in the ground, you know, but all over the world, in Africa, um, New Zealand, uh, Australia, you know, just, <laughs> it, it really is so blanketing. In Canada, I mean, it's everywhere, you know. Yeah. You talked about the case uh, that was filed by the Onondaga Nation uh, that recently went to the Supreme Court, but they refused to listen to the case. Mm -hmm. um, in that case, you are arguing that land was taken away from the tribe illegally. Uh, you know, you're one of many tribes who have said that very same thing. So now the Supreme Court has refused to listen to the case. Uh, what are your options now? Um, so now we have moved our case over to the Organization of American States, which is an international forum. So, you know, be, because the Supreme Court didn't, um, you know, want to hear the case because of the doctrine of discovery, you know, that that was the ruling. And, you know, when I think about when I think about our case and how special and different it is, we weren't trying to take back um you know, kick people off their land that they have bought or purchased. I mean, it's hard to kind of go and unpack what happened, you know, a couple hundred years ago, right? And how do you, right. how do you change that? So we were trying to not cause harm. And I thought that that's what made ours so special. Like, it was so special. It wasn't about, uh, you know, we're trying to coexist and in this life and world uh, and on our mother earth and trying to work in, allyship with with folks and we're very peaceful people and you know kind of astounding to me that that it wasn't taken um differently i guess and it wasn't accepted um and so this you know organization of american states you know now is is starting that that is starting to open up in another way in which we can get our um you know our land petition reviewed and you know, hopefully, hopefully settled in some way. Um, you know, we were just recently given about 1,023 acres. Um, and I'll, I'll give you the background of that. It stems because, you know, Onondaga Lake, which is our sacred lake, it's the birthplace of democracy. And I think it should be important to everyone, especially in the United States, because the U.S. government patterned their government after our government after our peacemaker came and gave brought our five warring nations together and giving our three parts of government. And it basically gave us the rules and laws that we would govern each other and ourselves by. Um, and now I look, you know, we've given some of this land back. It's really contaminated. And now they want to put constraints on what we can do with this land now. And so there's always a twist or a caveat. Like you can't, they can't just give back the land um, and say, here you are. We're sorry that we not only destroyed this this pristine, beautiful area, it, and here it is in, in all its uh, 
you know, toxicity uh, and let us deal with it. They're trying to tell us that we can't, you know, we can't keep it private and allow it to heal. And so, you know, there's so much to it. There's so many layers to it. Um, and I hope that someday you, you both uh, will, will be able to come up to the lake because I think it's so important that people, people know that um, we were given recognition for the United States government asked our leaders to come and teach them how we govern. And, you know, in Philadelphia, we still have a lot that they, they gave us, gifted us then uh, to camp and to be able to go uh, visit with them. And the first thing our men said were, where are your women? Like where you can't talk about forming a union and you have no women here. What are you thinking? You know, for us, we're matrilineal. And so, our women choose our leadership. It's really, um, it's really beautiful. And if those men are not doing their duty, our plan mothers have the right to lift them up into that leadership role, and they have the right to remove them if they're not doing their job. And those leaders are picked on compassion, basis of character, compassion, love, kindness. Are they going to defend their people? Are they going to defend uh, their nation and their own clan? You know, all of that is so interwoven. And so when I'm telling you all of this, it's hard to dissect little pieces out because of because of how intertwined it all is, you know? It goes back to yeah. the analogy you gave at the beginning of a basket woven together. Yeah, that we're all interconnected as our our systems that we build and yes. and as all we all depend on one another. I I just I'm loving your descriptions um of of all of this, but I wondered if we could talk for a minute about your partnership with the National Institution of Law and Justice. They've launched an initiative to help indigenous families investigate their missing girls, women, and two spirits. Can you talk a little bit about this and your partnership and how you're addressing this issue? Yes. So Mark Pucci, the founder of the National Institute for Law and Justice, approached me. Um, I used to be a, a board member for for the Future foundation and he approached me at their at their golf event and asked asked if we would partner with them to help them because they are non-indigenous people uh, bridge the gap um, they're retired um, homicide detectives and so they have a certain skill set <laughs> mm-hmm. and they're amazing wonderful people dedicated they've retired. And instead of just retiring, they certainly could retire and go play golf. They could hang out with their families. They don't, they don't have to pick this cause up. And it's so meaningful to uh, Mark Pucci, the founder. You know, he gets emotional. He sheds tears with me. Um, and he's so passionate about this that I knew that this was the right fit because all, all this time the Law Alliance was trying to figure out it's great. The statistics, we need those. We need the reporting. We need all that information. But for us at the Law Alliance, we wanted the next step. We wanted right. uh, the, the action behind it. How are you going to find you know, our missing and murdered Indigenous uh, women, girls, and relatives? How are you going to find them? Who's, who's going to do any of that work? And it certainly didn't... Um, 
I don't want to interrupt you and I apologize, but sure. just for the audience sake, I don't think our audience realizes the extent of this problem. So can you oh, give us a little information where? about what we're talking about here? Yeah. So part of the doctrine of discovery also brought with it, um, you know, that we are not seen as human equal to all other humans. We're not treated the same way. And so, in, I will just talk about Canada and the U.S., okay, because I have more familiarity with that. But there are over, there's probably about 7,000 uh, Indigenous uh, women, uh, relatives, and girls in Canada that have gone missing and murdered, and their cases are never followed up on. We're talking cold cases. Wow. In the United States, it's over 3,000. And so, you know, this is, this is um, <laughs> I would call it a, an epidemic, right, of, of great proportion that our our folks are not even looked to after they die. They don't even have the dignity. And I'll say this, that my partner, uh, who is our spiritual leader of our Six Nations, Tadadaho Sedhil, has a niece that uh, was murdered, mm. and nothing has been done to find her murderer, to um, go after the person or persons that, you know, she was in college going to school in Buffalo um, and murdered, and we have no answers and no information. How is that possible? I mean, I know that, you know, sometimes you may not have a lead, right? right. You may not have information, but the fact that that they're not even actively pursuing and looking into these cases, um, and so the National Institute of Law and Justice is going to start uh, going after, uh, you know, cases, cases, they, they want that information. They have, um, a webpage and a telephone number that you can call and a form that you can fill out on their, on their webpage. And we have a link to it in our website as well, you know, to be able to list your loved one or someone that you're concerned about all the information that you have, uh, in there, and and then they will take it, take the information, and then investigate what has happened to them. And so, I'm glad that you had asked that question. It's you know, it's very important because you're talking about people that you know we're very uh, afraid of the outside. We don't always give our information freely to anyone because it can be used against us as it has in the past. Mm -hmm. And so, when you have someone like uh, Mark Pucci and his team, and you know that it's real and they're real and they're willing and wanting to do this work, you know, that's the difference. That was the difference for me. And so a lot of places throughout the United States and into Canada, they have what's called man camps. So they're, they're mining for different things. They're fracking, they're, um, you know, they're, they're laying in pipeline all over the place. In all of those areas, you see a huge rise in Canada and the U.S., a huge rise in missing and murdered women, girls, and relatives. Um, they're taken, they're, they're sold into, you know, sex trafficking, they're murdered, they're raped, all of these different things for all of these different um, issues that come up. And you can follow each, each area and where they're having this extractive industries going on and the rise in those cases. And I can't say enough about um, this organization and, and so grateful that they asked us to partner with them 
you know, to try to bridge the gap between our nation and uh, others, right? Like, so we have a whole confederacy to make people feel comfortable and, you know, more um, willing and wanting to give personal information out. So I am so grateful that you asked that question. It's really, you know, I I hope someday that you'd be able to meet them. Just an amazing group of, of people and investigators wanting to do the right thing because not to make money, they're not making any money on it. You know, they basically, you know, poor Mark is paying money out of his pocket sometimes uh, to stay in hotel rooms, to get to places, to do this work. And so, you know, if anyone out there wants to donate to them, and, you know, it would be greatly appreciated too. Well, thank you so much, Betty, for the work that you're doing, as well as the partnership. Uh, I became aware of this issue almost a decade ago, talking to some partners and friends up in Canada and Mm -hmm. what they're doing up there with the First Nations peoples. So, um, and then beginning to do a deep dive into it and just learning all about what has happened to Indigenous women, uh, not only through the centuries, but what's happening today. And so thank you for for doing all the, the hard work on this. Well, Betty, it has been a delight. I could talk to you all day about this. <laughs> I could talk to you all day. I can just li- I can listen to Betty all day. How's that? <laughs> know, exactly, exactly. But we're going to get an opportunity to listen to you and others for several days up in Syracuse, New York, because on December 8th through the 10th of this year, there is a conference that you and others are hosting uh, entitled The Religious Origins of White Supremacy, Johnson versus McIntosh, and the Doctrine of Christian Discovery. Can you tell us a little bit more about that conference, and can anybody attend? Yes, thank you. Oh, this is great. Yes, anyone can attend. We welcome anyone and everyone from all, you know, all areas of life, ages, um, you know, whatever religion you believe in, it, it is about educating about history and um, about what this doctrine of domination of, you know, how, as I had said earlier, the beginning origins of it all the way up into how it's affected us today. And so we're going to have different panels, conversations that are going to be happening, you know, where people, it's going to be interactive, where people can ask questions, um, we'll have question and answer periods you know, and it's going to stretch over several days and hope that that all of you can attend. It's going to be held at Syracuse University. It's just an amazing group of people, brilliant people. We have people coming from New Zealand, uh, people coming from Central and South America, because they're, they're often forgotten about, um, our Indigenous folks there, um, and, and really mistreated, you know. So it's important that they also are included in that. And, you know, we're hoping to really have an open and honest, you know, dialogue and start to build relationships and friendships. You know, it's really about giving that information out, people understanding what really happened and transpired, what has happened since, and how it's affected everything along the way. And then how do we start to unravel it together? You know, how can we work more in partnership on so many different things. We may not agree on everything and that's okay. It's okay to not, um, you know, not be in sync all the time, but that we can find common ground in, in some mutual areas and, and work on that. 
Well, Betty Lyons, President and Executive Director of the American Indian Law Alliance, from my tongue of ancestry, Mado. Thank you. Before we let you go, though, Betty, Missy's got one last question that she asked all of our guests. So, Missy, take it away. So, Betty, as you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of the work that you do in our conversation today, what is your more to tell? I feel that there is so much more to tell. Um, but I hope that everyone, when they walk away from hearing this, they have more of an understanding of how interconnected they are to the natural world and how they're affected by that, how they're affected through their own peace and their own relationship. Um, their own environment, wherever they live in, and always to give gratitude. You know, have gratitude. That's what we start our day on. It's not just once a year like Thanksgiving, right? We actually have a Thanksgiving address that we give every day, um, and it kind of brings us centered, you know, so there is so much more to tell. We feel that we have we have the value system that is needed today uh, to be able to make sure that we have a future to be able to give uh, future generations. So thank you. Betty, thank you so much for being a guest this week. We really have been inspired by everything you have said. Thank you. And thank you so much. I'm so grateful to both of you and all your listeners uh, for having me here today. I just cannot tell you, Missy, how much I enjoyed the conversation we just had with Betty Lyons. She, again, I said it in the intro, but she reminded me so much of my grandmother, her passion, her knowledge, uh, her just knowledge about her people, her history was just remarkable. I just, the more I learn of the indigenous people and the culture and I... Her illustration, and I mentioned it in the interview again, of the basket woven together mm-hmm. clicked in a different way for me even. Um, I remember in uh, my freshman or sophomore year of high school art one class, <laughs> we, yeah. we did basket weaving. And so I that very much was a memory of mine. And as I was thinking about literally weaving of the basket when she was talking about how we are our existence is interwoven with creation and with others it just gave a different another visual of how indigenous peoples do view a symbiotic relationship with our world and you know having been brought up in a culture that whether intentionally or unintentionally i don't know um taught you know, dominion over creation and others. This interconnectedness visual is is so much more beautiful and um, I feel like more accurate to what our existence is supposed to be. I agree. I mean, one of the things listening to Betty and and other indigenous scholars uh, and leaders is you begin to understand their concept of the symbiotic relationship, uh, not only between humanity and the earth, but between the physical world and the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that really, really inspires me because, you know, I, I think about 
you know, they're talking about, you know, Mother Earth and 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 the, and the spirit that the great creator, the great spirit that lives within the world and even the spirit that dwells within us all. Um, it seems like they understand it in a conceptual way that those of us who have been so influenced by Western thought don't understand. And that I find myself the older I get in a sea the more I am drawn to that type of uh, understanding of the world, that type of theology, that type of, you know, know, humanness of what it means to be a person living within the community, not only of individuals, but a community of uh, all living things. And so I just I, I love listening to, to Betty and to people like her talk about this symbiotic relationship uh, and what it means. And I feel like as we learn about that, I feel like that's more of what the Bible really is communicating. Um, mm. When you look back at the Genesis narrative and the Old Testament narrative and, and you see the way that that God is showing people how to live and exist and care for the planet and care for the land. And um, it just, I feel like there was the one verse taken out where it says, you know, man shall rule over. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, Western thought just makes you think, oh, well, this is what we're supposed to do is rule over. That means we're supposed to rule over other people and and, uh, over all living things. And, um, but if you really look at it from that other perspective, that we are part of this earth, we are part of this system, we are part of the harmony, and we have the ability to disrupt that or to fulfill that and make it better, and we are not making the right choices. <laughs> um, and yeah, that- one thing I, I like about Betty and, and others who talk about this, and whether it's an indigenous culture or an African culture or... Uh, an Asian culture, even what I hear from those type of cultures is this importance of connectedness, but also a balance. And I can't remember if Betty talked about it in the interview or in our post interview conversation, but she talked about uh, the Onondaga people. Uh, you know, the, the Onondaga nation was actually the blueprint for democracy in this country. But when the uh, colonists came to talk to the nation. Uh, the first question that the Onondagas asked was, "Where are your women?" Right. <laughs> how can you have? How could you have any type of leadership without women? Because in that indigenous culture, you know there was a balance because exactly. it was the women of the culture who were the decision makers. They had the authority to make these decisions. Um, and you know they were the landholders. It, it just that was an amazing story. She told. Again, I can't tell. If she can't remember. She yeah, told she it. did. She yeah. did. And it goes back to what Kendall was saying in our interview last week about yeah. historically, you know, before we had science and understanding that cultures thousands of years ago it, it were very matriarchal because in their mindset, well, women are the ones who give life, and therefore, you know, that only makes sense that that um, creation and and and. Um, the earth was formed, you know, your spiritual guide was, was more feminine. So no, I thought that was very interesting to hear. And just, again, just to think about how kind of that dominionism language so perverted, um, 
gender and gender roles is is really disheartening you know again as we I unpack and deconstruct a lot of that but the other thing that Betty talked about that I've, I've just come to learn more about and really fully understand is the doctrine of discovery and I remember hearing that in passing it was probably like a vocab word on a history test but just how that type of thinking has influenced history has influenced policy, you know, years ago, but also more recently today. And we've just all accepted that that's a normal ideology. Yeah. You know, that, that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand in the doctrine of discovery, uh, that, you know, it was a 15th century, uh, doctrine, a papal bull, as Betty explained to us, but, people had to have a theological justification for doing what they were doing. And what they, what they knew was that going someplace and taking people's land and enslaving them was ethically wrong. They knew that. So they had to have a theological justification in order to do that. And so they hid behind evangelism. They hid behind Christendom and said, we are going to go to these places and we're going to take this land. We're going to enslave these people. We are going to overpower them because we're trying to do good. We're trying to evangelize them and convert them to Christianity. It is a very Western mindset, still exists today. Um, and it all began with this doctrine of discovery. And when it comes to the shores of North America, it quickly turns into Western expansionism, manifest destiny, that uh, white Protestants were to rule over all else. Uh, and it just, it's maddening. Uh, and the Christian church is responsible for this. And we, we've got some work to do. We've got a lot of repentance to do as a Christian community uh, to a lot of indigenous cultures that have caused global and historic harm across the board. Yeah, no, I agree. That's been interesting because I think the mental gymnastics that are required to get from, you know, point A to point B in this, like you said, of you know, we're going to go quote unquote evangelize and somehow that turns into stealing land and, and bodies and all sorts of terrible things. And, you know, we look at it now and think, oh, that's crazy. How did they do that? Well, you know what? Not only did they do it, but we grew up in a system that accepted it. Yeah. That that's just the way it was, you know, they accepted it and then they promoted it and, advocated for it and implemented it and it, that's just the way it was like you said and uh it's just it's it's so disheartening and then you start to think and this is where it really kind of messes with your mind and i know you and i have had conversations private conversations about this but what are we doing today that is replicating that yes i wonder that's, that all the time what are we going to look back on what are our kids and grandkids going to look back on and say can you believe they thought x or y or did this and i you know, and trying to be more self-aware and, and really examine, you know, all of our behaviors and actions. I'm sure we're missing something along the way. But like I said a couple of weeks ago, my hope is that every year I look back and think I've made progress, I've done better, you know, and that that's my hope. Yeah, that's all we can do. Uh, you know, we, we try to do better. We try to assess 
the realities that we are facing as a society and when we see injustices call those injustices out uh and 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 hopefully right those wrongs um and and that's what we're trying to do people often ask me why do i hold the beliefs that i do why do i advocate for the issues that i advocate for and it is out of a deep personal faith as a, a jesus follower uh, my interpretation of scripture in particular the new testament is based upon jesus advocating for the marginalized and oppressed but also side but right beside that missy is the fact that i'm an indigenous person now i know my life personally has not been altered to a great degree but there is something about generational trauma mm-hmm. and it is real and you know i don't think i've ever said this on the show before but i remember when i became the executive director of baptist center for ethics i went to a prominent church down south and one of their members some sir was joking at this church but ended up calling me an engine and it was just like what (laughs) what year are we in wow you know it was just it was like we've come so far, but we still have so far to go. And that's why I'm so inspired by people like Betty and the work that the American Indian uh, Law Alliance is doing. Absolutely. I'm so thrilled to continue um, working with them and being part of their organization and Yeah, and our audience will hear more about them in December as uh, I head up to Syracuse, New York, to the... uh, uh, the conference. I'm really looking forward to, to hearing the speakers and, and learning more about uh, what they're doing for indigenous communities across the country. Absolutely. Well, Missy, thank you so much for wishing me happy birthday. Yeah. Well, maybe when the, yeah, maybe that you can come home once the air conditioner is fixed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it, it, will you let me know if it's not? Because I may stay here in, uh, you know, New Mexico. Spend your birthday in the beautiful That's yeah, right. mountains out there. Uh, All right. Well, we'll be back next week in the same room again next time and hopefully fewer uh, sound and technical issues. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org. <laughs>